Papers and files are hard enough to manage as an individual, but in addition, leaders get inundated with tons of paperwork from others, both hard copies and digital. On this episode, the key steps to handle your papers like a pro. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 519. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I'm reminded almost daily that leaders need to have a broad skill set in order to do their jobs well. And that means the people skills we talk about on the show. It means being effective coaches. It means being able to give feedback. And yes, it also means being able to handle technology well. And technology is something that is a part of all of our work these days. Being able to handle our papers, the information coming at us, and being able to access it when we need it and share it with others is so critical to our success as leaders. Today, I'm glad to welcome an expert back to the show who is going to help us to really get more effective at managing our papers, but not only just managing them, helping them to really work for us. I'm so pleased to welcome back David Sparks to the show. He speaks and writes about how to use technology to be more productive. David is a past speaker at Macworld and a regular faculty member for the American Bar Association's Tech Show. David has published numerous books and videos on how to use technology, including the Max Sparky Field Guide series that includes videos and books on managing email, going paperless, and how to make a winning presentation. David is also the co-host of the popular Mac Power Users, Automators, and Focused Podcasts. When not speaking and writing about technology, he is a business attorney right here in my backyard in Orange County, California. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's real nice coming back. Well, I have been learning from you so much over the years, which I'll maybe say more about in a bit. But before we get into some of the practical things we can do around managing our papers. I, I'm sort of curious what got you started down this journey because you've been writing and teaching people about managing their papers well for almost a decade now. You know, I have always been a nerd. I mean, it just, I, I remember, so I am in my 50s now. I remember when I was a kid getting a mechanical calculator, you, you would stick a pin in it and slide the numbers and it would. They would have little tumblers in it. And I mean, so from the beginning, I've anything technology related has fascinated me. And that's just always been a running thing through my life. And I'm a small firm attorney, but I did a lot of cases or do a lot of cases with big firms. And the advantage I've, I've always felt like was the tactical use of technology, you know, understanding how it works making it work for me can allow me to be way more productive. So that's just always been a thing for me. And, you know, I just kind of stumbled into Max Sparky. It, it was, you know, one of those wonderful things that happens in life once in a while where a passion that you have turns into a thing. And somebody in Australia, a marketing podcast, I don't even remember the name of it now. They did a whole episode on me, how I, they looked at, you know, how I spoke at the bar association and I wrote some books and I did these podcasts and they, they traced how I plotted and strategized turning my, I'm hoping hair quotes here, brand, you know, into something. And I had to laugh because I didn't plan anything. It just kind of <laughs> happened, you know? 
<laughs> it's so funny where life takes us sometimes and uh yeah it, it, it sometimes looks like a straight line to the outside observer but then when we look at our own career journeys it's a it's actually a tumbled mess <laughs> behind the scenes yeah i mean I, I started in aerospace engineering and somehow that turned into law and it also turned into this nerd side hustle so yeah it's, it is a strange time but i've had a great time my whole life so i i really can't complain well, I am so grateful for your work. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for our conversation that there's a lot of things in life I feel like I'm pretty mediocre at. One of the things that I've really developed though as a superpower is making technology work for me and for our business. And I really have probably you to owe for that. Over the last 10 years, there's no single person that's influenced my thinking and helped me leverage technology more than you. So I'm super grateful that you've gone down this journey of sharing your work with the world. And today, I'd really love to share some of your thinking on how to really get control of our papers, because... It's really helped me a lot since you've been working on this over the years and changing my workflow. And I think it'll help a lot of other folks too. And when you enter into the space of trying to help people think about papers and what to do with documents and file management, what's the outcome that you're wanting for people? Sanity, honestly. <laughs> you know, I mean, me being a business lawyer telling people how to go paperless is almost like a bartender giving you advice on how to stop drinking. My profession in particular is horrible about generating paper. And what really got me interested in it was looking at the tremendous amount of waste and paper floating around in a law office and thinking that there has to be a better way. And one of the big problems with paperless for the longest time, and I think a lot of people still have this misguided notion that in order to go paperless, you have to buy a $20,000 software package and train all your staff, you know, and do all this stuff. It's not that hard. You know, people make it harder than they, than it should be. And then there's a bunch of vendors out there getting rich or, you know, I guess running their businesses by making it sound like a hard problem. And it really isn't that hard. There, There is a really big mental obstacle, I think, for a lot of us when we think about getting better with organizing our papers. And I can speak to that in that I went through that, I think it was nine years ago or so, you published the first edition of your paperless book. And I read the book and I looked behind me in my office at all of the file cabinets that have been there on papers and tax returns and documents that I had saved over the years. And I had this thought of, there's no way I can spend days of my life going through and scanning all this paper and getting it all organized into a digital system or hiring someone to do that. Like That's just not going to ever happen. And then, I don't know if it was something you wrote or I came to this conclusion myself, but at some point I got to thinking about that, um, you know, there's that quote of... Um, Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and second best time is today. <laughs> yeah, it's a, um, it's a Chinese proverb, and I, I think I quote it once a day. It's just so good. <laughs> I've probably picked it up from you. And I, and I thought to myself, I don't need to figure out the last 10, 20 years of paper collection I've been doing. But if I just started today of documenting, scanning, getting things digital from this point forward, that would be huge. And I did that nine, 10 years ago. And today there's literally no paper in my life. Everything is... is And now all the 
the file cabinets are still there. <laughs> but now I could actually throw them out, almost everything, because I just started to do it as a practice. And that's my invitation to folks today, too, that if you've been doing something one way that hasn't been working for you, that maybe you might consider just taking that first step. You can really start from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, this email has the same overwhelm issue where you're like, there's so much backlog that I don't know where to start. But but all of these problems, if you say, well, let's solve for today, you can always decide to go back, you know, prior later or or not. But don't let that backlog be the blockage of of solving a problem today. So there's four key principles that you've outlined on helping people to get control of their documents and paper and files. And I thought it might be helpful for us to walk through them and really get a sense of where we can start with this. And the four steps are capture, process, edit, and share. And uh, so let's start with capture and, and maybe define that a bit of when you think about capture, what does that what does that look like and sound like? I mean, well, capture is taking paper and turning it into ones and zeros on your computer, but it's more than that. Uh, everybody has paper that they want to scan, but a capture system actually has two components to it. Uh, not only are you capturing the physical paper, you're also capturing the digital paper. Like a very common problem is email, right? You get an email in from somebody and it's, a transactional email. Somebody wants to confirm an order or do something where you want to keep this email as an archival document. You have to understand how to turn an email into a PDF. You know, anything on your computer ultimately, if you're going to have a paperless system, should be turned into PDF. So you've got to figure that out. But you've also got to deal with the mechanical part of I've got this piece of paper. How am I going to get it? into a paperless system. And you talked about my, my first edition of the course, I heavily recommended document scanners, which are amazing technology. I still recommend them. Uh, but you know, it's like a $400 piece of equipment that can scan documents and that's, that's what they're built for. However, in the years since I released that first edition, these apps have developed now where, and the cameras in the iPhone or the Android or whatever phone you've got, they've got amazing cameras in them. So now there's a whole ecosystem of apps where you can just take a picture of a document with your phone and it's going to automatically put the edges around it and turn it into PDF. Some of them will even perform optical character recognition. So it'll recognize the words in the document. And now the barrier to entry isn't $400. It's, you know, a $10 app. Yeah. It's really remarkable how much that's changed in just the last few years um, to the point where you almost don't need a document scanner anymore. And actually, before I even, I want to ask you about some of the apps and what what's good these days. But before even going there, tell me a little bit more about the PDF format. Because I think a lot of us, historically, like if there's an email we need to save, we put it in the archive folder. If there's a Word doc that comes in with a receipt or an invoice, we save it somewhere in our file system. But you you recommend getting something into PDF. What's the advantage of that? Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's the portable document format. It's the winner. There there were a bunch of competing formats 15, 20 years ago when this started out. You know, you may remember the TIFF, T-I-F-F format and some other ones, but Adobe came out with PDF and then they did a really smart thing. They open sourced it so other people could write to and address the PDF format on the Macintosh. If you hit the print button, 
there's actually a separate button there that allows you to save anything you could print on the Mac to PDF. And Windows has similar functions as well now. Uh, so you've got the ability to generate PDFs out of anything. And that is a digital document. It is creating an image of the document. Whereas if you save an email, you're saving the email file. It's going to link back to the email. There are some advantages to that, but you, what you really want is, you know, the digital equivalent of a printed out version of that. And that's why, and PDF is the universal format. I, I feel like, you know, you're also buying yourself future-proof access to a PDF when you turn something into a PDF. If you, if you put a, um, a drive full of PDF images and you shoot it out into space and find it in 200 years, I'm guessing a computer in 200 years will be able to read it because PDF is just that universal. Whereas if you've got some, you know, unique email format that, you know, every email app is a, a little different. I'm not so sure somebody will be able to read that. So I, I like the archival nature of it, but I also like kind of the permanent nature of PDF. Uh, it's really kind of a no brainer. When you are cre thinking about creating and particularly the apps that capture documents now what do you like what's good out there that you'd recommend there's several apps on iphone i think the one that i would probably recommend if you just were to get one would be scanner pro from Readle. it is an excellent application it does a great job of what they call edge detection so if you take a picture of a document on your desk it's going to remove everything except the document it has built-in optical character recognition, so it'll go through and pull the words out so you can search it. And they have these great little workflows built in. So you can say, when I scan this, send a copy to my accountant and give it this name and put it in this folder. You know, so it does a lot of the like busy work for you. And when you're on a small device, that's really useful. Nobody wants to be like typing and things like that with their thumbs on their phone. You said optical character recognition, and I think some people know a lot about that and a lot of people don't. Sure. What's so important about that? Well, I mean, it, it just, it makes the document searchable. And, you know, just to give you an example, as a lawyer, you know, we've got these litigation cases where we'll have 30 boxes of documents and we're looking for the literal needle in a haystack. And if you scan all those documents without OCR, optical character recognition, they're just dumb pictures to the computer. It could be a bunch of words or it could be a picture of a boat. It wouldn't know any different. But once you add OCR to it, then all the words are indexed to each document. So then you can actually perform searches on them. And if your listeners are thinking about OCR of 10 years ago, don't. I mean, it used to be a big headache to apply optical character recognition to a document that the software wasn't very good. And then after it did the review, it would literally open the document and we'd go through words that it wasn't sure what they were and ask you to type them in so it could get it right. But obviously computers are a lot more powerful now. And even just that little computer in your pocket can, you know, can run circles around a PC of, you know, even five years ago. So the OCR now is done on board. There's no user interaction. And it really, it adds almost no size to the image. I mean, it adds, adds the text to the image, but it doesn't really take up a lot more space in the, in the file size. I recommend everybody OCR every document that they scan, because just think about sitting at your computer and searching the computer for a document and finding the needle in the haystack. 
the technology behind this is really remarkable. And this has been a power tip that I've snagged from you over the years in being able to on my Mac to run a search. And because all the PDFs are OCR'd, I can type a search term and it literally finds words inside documents. So even if I don't know the title of the document name or when it was, if I just search for the term, it'll it'll pull things up. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's great. Makes a huge difference. Well, this takes us into processing, which is once you've got the document captured in some way, uh, what do you actually do with it? And one of the things that you have, uh, I've seen you use over the years is something you call an action folder. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about the logic behind using something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two there's two procedures here. Capture is the manual labor of capture. You can do it, or if you've got an assistant, they can do it for you. It, it's not something that requires direct interaction, you know, but then the second piece of it is organizing it, which requires you to make decisions. And I don't necessarily do those things at the same time. You know, usually what I do with my paper is I let it accumulate during the week. I read it as it comes in, but then on the weekend, I set up a document scanner and just scan everything. And then I organize it at the same time. And what I do is I dump it into a folder. I use Apple technology. So I have a folder called action on my Mac. And then there is an app on the Mac that really is not matched on the PC, unfortunately, called Hazel, that does a lot of the filing for me. But that organization step is that process of you know getting it in the action folder. And by having an action folder, I've got one place I can go to see everything that's been scanned. So you could then have your have Hazel in your case, and I use that too. It's a really amazing app to go through and do some of that automatically. Or if you didn't have an app like that, you've at least got one place that then you can take those documents and then decide you're going to do something with them, either file them in a folder system or tag them or something like that. Exactly. Uh, That's also another thing I do at that step is I have, I think a a paperless system, it's very critical that you have a naming naming convention. So you've got to figure out how you're going to name your documents. Scanners generally don't do a good job of naming documents. So I recommend, you know, coming together with some sort of way to name the documents that you understand. So as you accumulate thousands of documents, it's it's easier to find them and understand what the name means. I think I picked this tip up from you a while back, and it has changed my digital life because I have a rule system in my head for exactly how I name every single document. And it And it is whoever the document's from, or the organization, and then dash the kind of document and dash the date. And I've been doing that for years. And it's really easy to to then search for anything I'm looking for. If I'm looking for an electric bill, or if I'm looking for a mortgage statement, or if I'm looking for a client record, I know exactly the syntax because I've been consistent with it for so long. Um, yeah. It's a little thing, but done over time, it's so effective at being able to find things. And the trick to that is finding the one that makes sense to you. Like, so you understand your naming convention and you can use it very well. I, I give advice on how to pick one, but, you know, I think everybody ultimately has to come up with their own. And this is something that once you implement it, it needs to be down the board. Like if you've got people that work for you, they need to understand and use the same naming convention. But 
um, without that, um, you just get these folders full of documents with all these different style of names and you don't know what's what. I think this is one of those things that almost nobody thinks about consciously, or if they do, they're 20 years in on having named things, all kinds of different names, or people have sent them documents with a naming system that they're not using. When you are teaching people how to do this, what are some of the key things you'd recommend when thinking about how to name files? I think the idea of a date and a name makes a lot of sense. Even though your computer will assign a date when the file is created, that that does not necessarily reflect the date that the do- that's in the document. You know, sometimes months or weeks will go by before it actually gets scanned. So having a date in there makes a lot of sense. I think you know having a noun and a verb makes a lot of sense. In your case, you've got the person or the entity and the type which in my head, I'll call those a noun and a verb. I think both of those make a lot of sense in a name. One thing I also add to them, like, cause I, I'm a lawyer, I do a lot of document revisions. So we have multiple versions of a document. I always put in parentheses if you have multiple versions rather than, you know, version one, version two, version final, all those things that never make any sense really. I just put parentheses with initials and date. So like if I revise it on, February 5, it'll just say, you know, D, a parenthesis DWS 2021-02-05, close paren, which I guess I should explain. I also use the standard for, for dates that goes year with four digits, month with two digits, day with two digits. So if you you put them next to each other, you can kind of organize them by date. Yeah, it's really... Again, simple but powerful because you can order it by date. It's obvious then what is the most recent version, but you also you get away from that. People do the version systems like, oh, this is version one, this is version three, and it's like, well, when was that that we did that? But the the date just yeah. it just solves all that problem, and it's really clean. Yeah, the the one that always cracks me up is final because I can tell you every time you think <laughs> it's final, it's not final. So you end up with like final final or final 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 or final version four it's like you just read these names and you just want to bang your head against the window yeah yeah if you just use the date that just solves all the all those problems so yeah it would all be a lot easier if we never interacted with anyone else with our files but of course we do interact a lot uh especially folks in our listening community and uh, i there are some really powerful tools to do this well and I know you have used Microsoft Word for years, as do many in our audience. When thinking about editing and sharing documents with people, one of the power features in Word is track changes. And yeah. I realize that there's a lot of people that don't necessarily, even if they know what it is, they haven't really understood how to use it well. And I'm wondering if you could share how that works for you and just some places to get started with it. Sure. I do a lot of transactional law. So I do a lot of contracts for clients. And so I negotiate contracts with their lawyers all the time. And that is the sign really of good transactional lawyers when they have track changes on and every version is fully tracked. So when you send the document to the other side, they can see exactly what you changed. And the way it works is in Microsoft Word, there's just a button that says track changes. And once you turn it, Every time you make a change in that document, and, and it depends on the display settings, you're going to see some indication of what you changed. What did you delete? What did you add? Did you add highlighting? Any change you make is going to show up. 
And then once you share that document with somebody, they have the ability to go through and just cycle through your tracked changes. And this is especially important on big documents. You know, sometimes some of the transactional documents I'm working on are like 100 pages. And I need to be able to know that I can not have to read that document critically every time there's a new version. I want to be able to just go through the changes that have occurred since the last time I read it. And that's what, what track changes gives you. As you go through those track changes, you can accept them or decline them or comment on them. But that it's just the way that transactional attorneys negotiate agreements. And there's a lot of other uses for this as well. Like if you have someone that does edits on your document and they track changes, like I, I write books for the Max Barkey stuff and my editor tracks changes and then I can see what she did. And if I don't like something, I can accept it or decline it. But it's just an easy way to have multiple people working on the same document. And it's, it's really not that difficult for things like this, but both Google Docs and Pages have options as well. And our invitation to you would be if you're if you're doing document review with multiple parties and you've never checked out track changes or suggestions on Google Docs and gotten into that a bit, I think it's worth spending 15 minutes like opening up a demo document, sending it to someone, just trying that out or with a friend um, because it's a bit of an investment just to, to try it. But you'll save so much time down the road. I mean, hours of your life every week, especially if you do a lot of it like you do. Yeah, I would actually, there's a couple things I would do with Word if you use Word a lot. And what I did in my my law practice is I would buy lunch for the staff once every month or two, and we'd go over a feature that I want them to use. And the big ones in Word are track changes and then styles as well, like styles where you have heading one, heading two, and like body style for documents where it automatically sets the formatting and the numbering and everything. So you don't have to go and manually set that for every new paragraph. And I think I'd also recommend looking a little bit into keyboard shortcuts too. You can be so much more efficient with that app if you understand just some of the basic keyboard shortcuts. For someone who'd like to get better at that, or maybe they are good themselves like you, but want to teach their staff how to do that better, do you know of a good resource for just some of the Word 101 power tips on, on getting better at that? Yeah, I, I would recommend just getting a lynda.com account. Oh, uh, LinkedIn Learning. Yeah, LinkedIn Learning. It, but it was started as Linda. If you go to lynda, L-Y-N-D-A.com, I think it still points to it. But the um, they've got a lot of great like explainer basic videos on con- like Excel and Word and things like that. They, they also go deep down the rabbit hole. I mean, but... But those would be good videos to just show your staff, I think, to kind of bring them up to speed. But you need to watch them first. You need to fully understand them. You can't ask your uh, your soldiers to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, some organizations have really good systems for sharing files and um, document management. Uh, a lot don't necessarily, or it's up to individual teams and managers to figure that out. When you think about sharing documents, you know, after you've done some of the annotation, what do you find generally works as a good practice? This is something where I try to adapt to the audience. So whenever, whoever I'm working with, I find out what they've used historically and I just use that. And I have, you know, iCloud accounts and Dropbox accounts and all the, you know, all the usual suspects and whatever that person understands is the one I use. I don't try and get them to kind of come to me. I go to them 
when it comes to sharing. Anything that you run into that is common things that people should watch out for when sharing documents, sharing files, file sizes, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, I, I think a common mistake with PDFs is understand the annotation process. Sometimes you need to share a PDF with sensitive information in it, and you need to understand like how to redact and how to like delete pages and do things that need to be done. There was a famous story two or three years ago with one of the, the courts where they had a, a judicial decision, and there was sensitive information in the decision that couldn't be shared with the public. So they released it to the press, but they had blacked out the areas that were sensitive. But the court clerk, instead of redacting it, had just drawn a black box over it. And then, of course, the people in the press just selected the black box and pressed delete, and they had everything underneath. So all of a sudden, all this sensitive information got disclosed. That's the kind of problems you get into if you don't understand the software. You have to be careful. You know, I realized I want to go back and ask you about something else on editing and annotation a bit. You are really a ninja with using your iPad in document review. And this is something I'm doing increasingly because I often get manuscripts of books to review and I get PDFs. And there's some really cool things specifically for those who have tablets and specifically the iPad you can do with PDFs. What are a couple of things you found that have been really helpful to manage documents on a tablet? Yeah, if you have to review PDFs on a tablet, on an iPad in particular, I would strongly urge you to spend the 100 bucks and get an Apple Pencil because the, you know, the idea of highlighting right on the document with the pencil is ridiculously easy. I mean, it's so much better than the way we used to do it where we'd print the pages out. And one of the things I like to do is with because the iPad screen is big enough, I will put on the screen both the PDF, but then I can also put on the screen a text box. And I use dictation, but you can also type and just dictate notes as you review the document. And my first review of any contract for a client goes through that process where I'm looking at on the iPad, I'm scrolling through highlighting sections, and then maybe I'll, I'll just hit the microphone button and say, section 1.3, are you sure you want to agree to that? Why don't we suggest X, Y, and Z instead? You know, And so I've got this text file of my notes that I create via dictation, and then I have this highlighted document to go with it. And then I just send that off to the client with my notes and the highlights, and then we schedule a call or a meeting to go through that together. But it's a very quick way to capture initial thoughts. The technology is really getting amazing with the yeah. iPad and the Apple Pencil. Uh, Bonnie has an Apple Pencil, and and now this the new software supports when you write down on uh, on a PDF or wherever on the uh, on the system, it actually turns it into text. <laughs> it's really amazing. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's like the old days of Scribble. You know, you just start writing, and it 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 recognizes it and turns into text. It's the, you know, the artificial intelligence of these things is just getting so powerful that they've got the overhead now to make it do better things like that. Same thing with the voice to text dictation. If you tried it five years ago and you thought it was garbage and you try it again, you'll be shocked at how much better it is. Yeah, it is remarkable how good that technology has gotten. And, um, you know, one of the things that I hope folks will do coming out of this conversation is maybe zero in on one thing that you could start with, uh, whether it is OCR in your PDFs, if you haven't done that before, or thinking about a file naming taxonomy that you're going to use, or maybe doing some of that annotation on a, di on a digital tablet. 
it it really is powerful because then you can do a lot with it. David, for people who would like to dive in more on this and actually really learn some of the the best practices for papers and document management, you've created this incredible field guide. I've been going through it over the last few days and have picked up a bunch of things that I'm adding onto my workflow. Would you share a bit about uh, what it is and what folks would get if they if they went in on it? Yeah. So I have made, I've written books over the years, but now my field guides are largely video tutorials or video courses. I find it just a much better way to teach this material because it's not enough for me to tell you how to check boxes on your computer. It's better if you just watch me do it and then you can kind of follow on. And so that's how I'm doing it these days. If you go to learn.maxsparky.com, you'll find all of the different courses that I've made over the years. And the paperless one is the most recent field guide that I've released. It's a long course. It's uh, almost seven hours. So sorry about that. <laughs> but I, uh, I really go deep on it. It's 95 videos breaking down all of these four components. It's got app recommendations and tutorials and walks you through the whole process. It is very much directed at Apple centric technology. So if you're on, you know, Macs, iPhones, iPads, you're going to like it. Each one of these steps I've covered both for mobile and on laptop and desktop. So if you just have iPhone and iPad, there's a whole half the courses for you basically. But also I think that some of the best practices in there could probably be applied to PC, but it's really aimed at, at Apple stuff. But it's, like I said, it's 96 videos, seven hours of content, Everything's downloadable. Everything is closed captioned. There's some downloadable content as well in terms of tutorial files and things like that. It's I'm really proud of it, and it came out great. And I've it's been out now a few months, and I've heard from so many people that have got their paper list, you know, system down via the course, and that's really the reason I do that stuff. Bonnie and I, I think, have purchased every guide you've done over the last decade, and they're just so well done. And it's so, if you want to get into the detail, you can. By the way, if you get the course, you don't need to watch all seven or eight hours. You can just pick up some of the key sections, uh, which is what I've done recently. And it is, if you just take one or two things and start doing it consistently, you're going to find, I think, that you'll, it's a little bit of investment of time, but you'll save so much time in the long run. I'm getting better at this. So I'm going to get the links in this week's weekly leadership guide and the episode notes, learn.maxsparky.com is where to go for all the details. David, thank you so much for all your work on this. Uh, Mac Power Users has been one of my favorite podcasts over the last decade, and it's been uh, just huge and helping me to get better at the work I do. So thank you so much for the work you and Stephen and Katie have done over the years to help us all get better at using our technology. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. David Sparks is the host of the Mac Power Users and the author of the Paperless Field Guide. Thanks again, David. Some of you who are tech savvy are probably already thinking about how to integrate some of these principles into your systems. If that's not you, though, I'd invite you to just start somewhere. It's easy to get overwhelmed with the technology. Find one thing to begin with. Maybe it is something as simple as just thinking about what's your system for how you'll name every file, and that way it's easy to surface it when you're searching for things or working with others on uh, those documents. If you want to go further, David's Paperless Field Guide is a wonderful place to start. I've taken a number of his courses over the years, and they're just always done so well. 
and in so much detail. We've affiliated with him for this course. You can find the link in the episode notes. It'll also be in this week's weekly leadership guide. And one thing I don't think we mentioned in the conversation is that there's 45 minutes of free content in his field guide. So you'll want to use that link and at least go in and find out some of the key principles that he provides in that 45-minute overview. It'll really get you started, especially if you're just looking for that one or two things to begin with. And that will get you off and running on the journey. In addition, I'd recommend several other conversations that will help support you in getting more organized. One of them is the first time David was on the show back on episode 119, how to get control of your email. And even though that episode aired over eight years ago, for better or worse, not a lot has changed with email technology since then. And certainly the philosophy and our workflows for handling email haven't evolved a lot. There's so much in that conversation that'd be helpful to you if you, like me, occasionally really struggle with handling email, getting to it all, and really finding the right framework for email. Episode 119 is a great place to start, and David has a lot of resources on that as well. Speaking of staying organized, episode 319 would be helpful to you too. The way to stop spinning your wheels on planning. been having a number of conversations recently with our Academy members on how to really align schedules with what's most important. And in that episode, I walk through my system for how I plan. I use planning over a 90-day increment and use that for structuring how I then think about ideas, how I dedicate my schedule, and so much more. And if you'd like a framework for how to approach your planning, episode 319 will be a helpful place for you. And then finally, related to planning and organization is how do you align your calendar well for the things that are most important? Episode 431 is a very helpful conversation on that. Near Aol was my guest. We talked about how to align your calendar to what matters, how to use time blocking in order to make sure that you're getting the most out of your time and resources, and that fits in great with planning as well. All of those you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. Uh, all of them are filed under productivity. So many other conversations we've had over the years. If you don't yet have access, to the free membership, just go over to coachingforleaders.com. That's going to get you access. It just takes a couple of seconds to set up. It'll get you inside the membership portal. And once you're there, you can search for every episode by topic. Uh, it'll really surface everything that you need under each one of those topic areas, plus all of the free audio courses, the member cast, my own personal library, and a ton more inside the free membership. Uh, coachingforleaders.com is where to go for all of that. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Shannon Minifee to the show. She is the new CEO of Box of Crayons and is going to be teaching us about how to inspire more curiosity in our organizations. Join me for that conversation with Shannon and have a wonderful week. Take care, everybody. <music>